Hello and welcome to the Browns Blitz. Today is Wednesday, February 16th, and this is episode number 137. I'm your host, Rod Bloom. Joining me today is my brother, Jeff. Hey, Jeff, how are things going? Man, they're going great, Rod. We hit 50 today. You know, we we hit um, we hit 60 down here. So not, oh, I'm not, not like trying me. to brag or anything, but it was pretty <laughs> nice. So, yeah, yeah, pretty happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and with any luck by tomorrow, I won't be falling on my butt on the ice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, joining us, uh, joining us tonight is uh, Doug Lamarice. Uh, Doug, how are things going? Uh, I'm doing well. I thought Jeff said we hit 50 today. I thought it was Jeff's 50th birthday, and he was doing a podcast. I was like, man, <laughs> no. celebrate your birthday. <laughs> no, Doug, Jeff, that, that's way in the rearview mirror. <laughs> that hit a while back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's temperature. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. So um, so Doug, let's do a proper introduction. You are um you are a uh, a writer contributor for uh, Cleveland.com, um a host of uh, Buckeye Talk Pod. Um, and you have uh, you have another podcast, CFB uh, Survivor Show. Um, I assume is that is that something that happens during college football season and during during uh, closer to the playoffs or all the way through college football season or or what's the story with that? Uh, we started it in July and we're doing it twice a week year round. So uh, it's uh, I have a co-host Shahan Jeharaja who's a college football writer for CBS Sports based in Texas. And we do focus on the college football playoff. We originally called it the college football playoff show, but the actual college football playoff wasn't a huge fan of that name. So they suggested (laughs) adjust our name and we uh, agreed to do so. So it's the college football survivor show, but we'd really just sort of look, we look at the contenders um, for the playoff. We look at, you know, teams and quarterbacks and coaches and programs uh, that are in that contention. And we just had a podcast that, that uh, is our latest podcast where we talked all about the issues, whether they will expand the playoff or not. So yeah, that's Tuesdays is Apple podcast uh, only. It's a subscription to that. And the Wednesday podcast is free, but we do that year round. That is the college football survivor show. Excellent. And I have to bring up your book, uh, your book, um, and I'm going to say the whole title. It's The Road to Ohio State, Incredible Twists and Improbable Turns Along the Ohio State Buckeyes Recruiting Trail. Um, that's been out for a little while. And I'll be honest with you, I don't have it yet. I haven't read it, but um, wanted to talk briefly about that, too. Kind of get um, a little bit about the, uh, the backstory and how that came to be. Yeah, so that came out in September. It's part of a series that uh, was started with actually a, a recruiting book on Michigan, and then that was successful. They did one with Alabama, and then they called me and asked if I wanted to do Ohio State, and there's also a Georgia one that came out last year, too. So it's individual recruiting stories of Ohio State players over the year. There's a, a Woody Hayes recruit in there, all the way up to Trevion Henderson, who was a freshman on the this most recent Ohio State team, and a bunch of guys in between. And it's all about, it's not their Ohio State careers, it's how they made the choice to attend Ohio State. So what other teams were recruiting them, the relationships they built, they built, what their visits were like. So, you know, Michael Jenkins, the guy who caught Holy Buckeye is in there talking about when he visited Virginia Tech and Michael Vick was his host and was driving him around. And Kenny Guyton's in there and the miraculous story of he wound up a Buckeye and 
Cam Hayward and Ryan Shazier and James Laurinaitis and Eddie George and the Bosa brothers. And so, um, yeah, I think it's it's 17, hopefully entertaining individual tales of how some of uh, the most your more familiar Ohio State players made their choice to play in Columbus. Excellent. And I know you have a link to that on your uh, on your uh, Twitter account um, and people can follow you there and find that at Doug Lamarice. And um, I, w- I was just listening to the podcast we did a couple of years ago, and I know you tell people to go to Doug uh, Less Me Rises. Yes. Which is yeah, excellent. Less <laughs> Me Rises and you'll and you'll figure out how to spell it. <laughs> excellent. Um so uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit a little bit of Buckeyes later related to the draft. Um, I wanted to uh, I'm gonna shift right into the Browns. So this is a Browns podcast, so it's gonna be a lot of our uh, a lot of our talk this evening. And I wanted to I wanted to get your thoughts first of all on uh, on just what it's like covering covering the Browns and. I'm not sure about this, so I wanted to clarify first. Um, you you attend the Browns pressers this year. How, how many years have you been doing that? Oh boy! Um, so I, I started off as a, as an Ohio State beat writer, and at that the Cleveland Plain Dealer and was doing that exclusively for a decade plus. So I, I guess I've been. I really kind of came in with the Sashi era, I guess. So mm-hmm. like I. I guess sort of like 2017 was probably the beginning of me starting to do a decent amount of Browns, maybe a little bit in 2016. I know I was very in on them tanking. So I remember writing a column way early on about like they need to tank and then they tanked. And I was like, this is great. Um, So yeah, it's (laughs) probably been five or six years. Have you been going to the pressers that long? Uh, No. And I, I mean, I really probably got, going to the pressers a lot in I guess the Hugh era so I guess 17 18 I mean I was there yeah I mean 18 was probably the year when when Hugh and I were starting to disagree uh on some stuff so yeah 18 for sure maybe a little before that okay excellent I'm not looking I'm not looking to raise any kind of a stink here but I'm kind of curious I'm just kind of curious what it's like um People have opinions of the media and everything here. I'm just kind of wondering what the environment is among members of the media um, when you guys get together here, because obviously you work with you, your co-work, you know, you're you have co-workers who are members of the media. So you guys are working together on things um, is, when you're at pressers and when you're dealing with other members of the media. Is it um, you know, is it is it more competitive? Is it more um you know, like like uh, like we're all like we're all in the same boat, and and people are trying to help each other. Um, it, I'm just kind of curious what the environment yeah. is. Yeah, I I would say for the most part it's pretty collegial. Now I, I have a much sort of broader view on that at Ohio State, where I ha- you know I've never been a Browns beat writer, so haven't been an Ohio State beat writer for so long. But being around the Browns, I, I do think. You know, Mary Kay Cabot really um, just, I think, sets a tone in a lot of ways with how many stories she breaks and just sort of how thorough and 
just on top of the beat that she is. And then Dan Lobby right beside her. Those are the two people for us who are really all over it on an everyday basis. And I would say Scott Petrick and Nate Ulrich um, do the same things for their outlets. Uh, Tom Withers is really good from the AP. But I do think, you know, the, the, the comprehensive uh, day-to-day making sure all the bases are covered, uh, I do feel like there are multiple super professional people who do that. And they do, I think, I don't know if work together is the right word because they want to beat each other and they want to break stories. But I do think they work like a pack. I don't know if that sounds right, but to make sure everything's asked, right? Mm-hmm. That, okay, if you, well, we need to make sure we ask about the tight end injury. Okay, you asked about that. Well, I'll make sure I ask about if they're going to change, you know, something at safety. And someone needs to ask about Joe Woods. Oh, good. You asked about Joe Woods. And I feel like most of the time, I mean, in the NFL, you talk to people so much uh, that they really are on top of stuff. And there's not much that slips through the cracks. Um, yeah. But that it is it is mostly um, friendly, you know, competitive, but friendly with the way those people go about their business. So you guys pretty much know what the other writers are going to ask beforehand. Uh, I think a lot of times, again, I, I am usually when I'm doing the Browns coming from left field with stuff that I'm trying to bring something. I'm trying to ask something that I figure other people aren't asking mm-hmm. or if I feel like. I don't care if people think I'm a jerk because I don't have to work the beat and build relationships quite the same way. <laughs> so if somebody really needs to be pressed on something, I want to be there. And I'm not trying to like stir up stuff necessarily. But if I feel like this has got to be asked, I want to make sure I'm at I'm at the presser. And so much has been on Zoom. It makes it a little easier. Um, yeah. But I want to jump in and make sure I'll ask, I'll push somebody on something if I feel like maybe other people aren't going to do that. So I don't know that people know what the other people are going to ask, but I think the beat writers all know these six areas need to be covered today. Yeah. And they work together to make sure all six get covered. I think when you twist, you kind of do it in like a kind of professional way. So it's kind of, (laughs) I don't think they can really get mad at you. So (laughs) you got mad, you got mad. But well, um, Hugh, he, yeah, he probably got mad at everybody. But, though, but I so. want like they're millionaires. It's OK if they get mad. I'm not trying to make people mad, but I'm not afraid to make people mad. And You're I doing do your job yeah. sometimes within I take not pride, but I put a lot of thought into way into the way I ask a question, because I do think sometimes just generally in the media, there's a topic that needs to be covered. You know, we need to cover why isn't Ronnie Harrison playing better? He seemed to blow a coverage the other day. Well, if you want to, mm-hmm. you've got to ask that the right way to possibly get an answer. And so the way you phrase it, sometimes you need to be short and quick and to the point and really push somebody and risk making them mad. Sometimes you need to massage it a little bit. Sometimes I feel like you need to you need to take the cliche, possible cliche answer and put it in the question so they can't throw it back in your face and say, I know that it's a collaborative effort and everybody's doing their best out there. But, but you know, that kind of thing. But sometimes yeah, right. I, I don't want to make people mad necessarily, but sometimes if they do get a little mad, if it's if you're not being unfair, sometimes people are the most honest when they're a little mad. And so True. if I just say, Kevin, do you feel like you're coaching as well this year as you did last year? 
you know, there's something in a question like that that is basically me saying you're not doing a very good job this year. Mm-hmm. But I want to see where he goes with that. And I want to see if he does get mad. So um, I do mm-hmm. think and that's where I want to come in, because sometimes the beat writers really are so busy with the day to day stuff that has to be covered. They have to use their questions on that. The big picture stuff. Sometimes I feel like that's where somebody in my type of job can come in and say, OK, I'm not going to ask about the daily minutia because the, the beat writers are doing a great job with that. I'll go big picture and see see how somebody reacts. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Total. Interesting. I wanted to I, I just wanted to get some thoughts from you on the 2021 season. Um, just because we haven't talked <laughs> yeah. since then, you know, we on this podcast we've kind of put that in the rearview mirror, but you know, we haven't we haven't had you know uh, we haven't had you on. So, um, just kind of your general thoughts, uh, maybe what you. I think everybody knows the season was a disappointment. You know, everybody thought the Browns were going to do better. I think we know that the Baker's injury was a big factor in everything, but um, I guess maybe just. What to you, what um, what stood out this season and what was, you know, what other things were the differences uh, between 2020 and 2021? Um, well, certainly the the efficiency on offense and Baker working within Kevin Stefanski's game plan with the boots, with the the play action, the stuff that brought out the best of Baker in the second half of 2020. Um, obviously, that didn't continue. It's just, it is such, it is one of the more difficult sports seasons to analyze that I've been around because when the quarterback injures himself so early in the year, yet continues to play, and all year we're, we're doing, well, of course, he's affected by the injury, but how much? It's not the throwing shoulder. Well, now he has a harness on. What is it? That I think it was that was really difficult week to week in the moment, and it's still difficult knowing what we know now. And that the you know certainly the way they talked at the end of the year really you know made it seem like it was a bigger issue than maybe they were making it seem like in the moment. But I do think fundamentally in a league where the best teams throw it and throw it to their receivers to move the ball and score points it feels like the Browns have fallen behind there. And that's not only a Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase kind of thing, but you just, you look at so many of the teams in the playoffs and defense is great. And building with the offensive line is great. And the run game is great, but the way Baker played, the way Baker processed the throws Baker didn't make and did make regardless of the injury and the lack of production from the receivers, the way the Odell thing unfolded. I think there are real, questions that are very answerable but I certainly have questions beyond the injury about can Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski and and whatever they do at receiver can they evolve to the point where they threaten defenses within the passing game the way many other good teams do and is the Stefanski model of run it throw it to the tight ends that kind of offense is is that really the best way for the Browns to win at the highest level, not just in the regular season, but in the playoffs. So uh, I think um, injury aside, those are the questions that they have to answer and show us, I think a little bit at least of a different version of themselves with how they choose to throw it, the kind of 
play calls that Stefanski has. And I know people would point to film and say, hey, receivers were running open a lot and Baker didn't throw to him. But whatever it is, I get a little sick of the trying to figure out where the blame goes. Is it Baker's fault or Stefanski's fault? They couldn't throw it. And they have to fix that. And I don't think that is 100% injury related. So I have real questions about that uh, for 2022. Yeah, and throwing the ball is kind of a theme that we're going to keep coming back to tonight. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, we've talked about it a lot, Doug. I mean, Rod and I, this podcast is really not about dissecting, you know, individual players and stuff. We, We try to do and an overall um, assessment of where the team is. And that's kind of where I come from. You know, it's, it's you know, what's the culture, what's changing and so forth. Um, I want to ask you about your perceptions of that. And, you know, this coming from obviously the, the Hugh Jackson era until now, you've seen some changes in the culture. Um, and, and what do you think that the organization is doing right and what do you think the organization is doing wrong in terms of building a sustainable winning culture? I do believe that all the stuff everybody talked about when Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Berry were hired and all the alignment discussions are were real and are happening. And so I think there is a baseline level of competence and a baseline level of, you know, not tearing each other's heads off in the building that is should not be extraordinary, but given the recent past of the Browns, was a major step forward. And so I do think they're all on the same page. I think they're smart. I think they're comprehensive. I think they don't take anything for granted. I, I do think there is just a, the, the, they can win. They are capable of winning with the way they are doing things now. And then the hard part of that is when there's been such dysfunction, not just with with Hugh Jackson, um, Sashi Brown, not just with John Dorsey and Freddie Kitchens, but, you know, just dating back. That's what's defined the Browns since they came back to Cleveland. So they're competent and functional. But then what? Then, like, that's not good enough. And I do think that there can be a divide in the fan base sometimes of, you know, hey, Baker took us from one and 31 to here. Why is everyone trying to get him out of town? And it's like, well, it's not really about that they once were one and 31, although that was important for them building this. I do believe that. Um, but so so now you're trying to get the Super Bowl. You're not just trying to be competent. So and you're not just trying to make the playoffs. You made the playoffs. So now what? So to me, the discussions with the Browns now, are is it good enough to win the Super Bowl? Does it beat the Chiefs? Does it beat the Bills? Does it beat the Bengals? You know, does it does it win a second round playoff game? The idea of, oh, maybe you can play this way and do it this way and go, you know, 11 and six and make the playoffs. Like, I'm not saying. I'm not going to say, like, that's not good enough, but it's not the ultimate goal. So I do think there's been a shift for everybody that that's a heck of a transition to go from Mm. dysfunction to it's that's that's put the playoffs as almost an expectation. But I think that's where we are. So then you have to analyze them through now to how do they get to the next step? And that's when you start talking about, well, they need to throw it better. Well, you know, is, is Stefanski um, leading the right way in the locker room? You know, the, why they have to draft a receiver? And, you know, when, when people are getting on Joe Woods and clearly the defense played the second half of the year, it's not 
are you competent? It's are you Super Bowl level? And I think that's a good shift that's happened in Cleveland. But I think that's a necessary shift. And I don't think there's any doubt that they're good. They're good. This is a good franchise right now. Are they yeah. Super Bowl level? That's where we all need to talk and, and sort of ask where they can get better. I think a lot of work has to go into that still. Um, so just as a follow-up on Stefanski, um, you know, he's used this phrase, tough, smart, and accountable. Um, do you see that being developed in players, or do you think that that is a requirement to play for Kevin Stefanski? Um, how do I answer that? I mean, I, I don't, it doesn't feel like the roster is populated by a bunch of um, guys that you can't trust, right? So I do, <laughs> right. Um, but also, you know, you got to draft talent. So you need to build a structure. Um, I mean, at the highest level, you know, Bill Belichick brought in a ton of guys who maybe had questions with other franchises. And then you have such a structure and a culture in place that guys get in line when they get in your building. So I'm not saying Kevin Stefanski needs to be emulate the greatest coach of all time immediately. But I do think there's an area where you should be able to get anybody to follow it, uh, you know, to follow along on that. I don't think they have to come ready made like that. Because there's a lot yeah. of talented players that might have a little bit of a, I don't know what you want to call it, a wild streak or something. But they just need the right kind of leadership. So I would hope that, you know, and that's not the kind of guys who are doing a bunch of terrible stuff off the field and getting in trouble with the legal system and that kind of thing. But it's just like Odell. I would not define Odell. I mean, Odell has never done anything wrong off the field. It's just he has... Do you think, oh, he wore a watch or like he, he likes to train his own way? If you're a great coach, you should be able to get the best out of Odell Beckham Jr. without him, you know, lining up and, and having to act like you're a drill sergeant. So I do think that was some failing of the organization that they couldn't make that work because I don't think they have to come ready made. I think Kevin Stefanski needs to be able to create a structure that brings out the best of a lot of different players with a lot of different personalities. I, I kind of personally tend to think that he needs players to come more ready-made at this point in his career. Um, I think you're right. If, you know, the, the level of, of aspiring to be Bill Belichick, you know, maybe he can get there at some point in his career. Obviously Bill Belichick wasn't that way. Uh, when he was here, right, early in his career. Um, so I think looking at the players that, that are on the roster now, that, that's probably part of the divide, don't you think, is that some of these guys are are ready to toe the line and, and, and follow that philosophy where other guys need a little bit or maybe a lot more guidance. And that's not necessarily a strength of this staff. Would you agree with that? Uh, so I guess, so who, like, so they took a chance on Malik McDowell, right? A guy who had had some issues. Good example. On him. They bring mm -hmm. him in. He's a starter. He actually doesn't play that well. They need to be better at defensive tackle. He's fine. I mean, they, they, they feel it seems like they want to be a, a franchise that isn't afraid like, uh, of guys like that, that we think we can do that and give guys second chances. I, I do think with Kevin, and I do not know Kevin all that well, I do think – Kevin, and I've made this analogy before, in the COVID year when there was so much crazy stuff and you couldn't meet and everybody was behind, for them to have the kind of year they did with the first year head coach and make the playoffs in the COVID year 
it felt like he was a, a calm in the storm, right? And navigating yeah. Yeah. through the storm. But then like when it's not a storm, uh, do you want calm all the time? Like I do, maybe it's just the perception of his personality in press conferences, but you know, the little snippets where you see, you know, John Harbaugh on the sidelines saying, Lamar, you want to go for it? Yeah, coach, let's go for it. Like that kind of thing. <laughs> you watch that. And I know it's a little NFL film snippet, but I watch that sometimes. and I think, well, Kevin Stefanski do that? Or something, you watch Sean McVay interact and fist pump and, you know, celebrate with the guy on the sideline. And I think, does Kevin Stefanski do that? And there's lots of ways to get a job done. But I thought he was like the perfect guy for 2020 in that weird year. But long term, when they're trying to be great and when you are when you have great talent, you might have a couple difficult guys. I do have questions about him navigating that and navigating egos and and bringing a locker room together. And when John Johnson, the third at the end of the year, saying like, man, the offense and the defense weren't necessarily on the same page. That's on Kevin. So I I need Mm -hmm. I think we all need more from Kevin Stefanski. He had a great first year. But I know some people think, oh, well, this second year, there were so many injuries. It was that was a fluke. How do we know the first year wasn't the fluke? So I, I'm not right. trying to fire Kevin Stefanski, but I am not assured that he is a brilliant long term NFL coach based off the first two years. Uh, he seems to have good attributes, but I feel like there's things he needs to do better. Yeah, I think yeah. that um... you hope you hope that there's enough alignment in the organization that they can pull him through that learning curve as well, right? Right, right. Or if it, you know, in two years, if you can't pull him through, then get somebody else. You know, I mean, it's like, it'd be great if he's a coach for the next 20 years. But, you know, there are just, there are two such strong examples in the division with Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh. And nobody listening to this needs that explained. You know what Mike Tomlin's all about and you know what John Harbaugh is all about. And they're and they are smart, tough, and accountable. I think what Kevin Stefanski says he wants the Browns to be, I feel like that's right where you would start with those two coaches and the cultures of those two teams. And mm-hmm. yes, Stefanski is young, but I don't feel like they're there. You know, I, no. I just I just think that, you know, and again, Odell had problems in New York, and I'm just I don't mean to bring up Odell, but we're talking about Kevin. I do think. I don't hold Kevin responsible. And we talk about this a lot in the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. The way it ended isn't Kevin's fault. The fact that it got to that point, part of that's Kevin's fault. Mm-hmm. And sure. that, Kevin, that Kevin let it get to the point where the dad posts the video and Odell's that frustrated and all those things. I think other coaches very well might have managed it better. I'm not saying every coach, but I don't think it was like the most impossible player situation in the NFL last year. And it blew up in their faces. And I think a little bit of a firmer hand or better leadership or better player relationships, I think might have been able to nip that in the bud before it reached the point it did. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was kind of shocking for me because it seemed like uh, the Browns really didn't didn't have or weren't having any issues that weren't being handled behind closed doors before that. So so I was under the impression that Stefanski was doing a nice job of you know, massaging egos and things like that, you know, uh, before that happened. So um, hopefully it's something he can he can learn and, you know, and and uh, and uh, I guess follow the learning curve, like like Jeff saying, hopefully he'll get the chance to do that because because uh, just like quarterback, I, you know, I think a, a team is better if you have some longevity at, 
if you're able to have the longevity of the head coach, it's, it's going to help the franchise. But uh, guess see what happens. And he so, very well may be the guy. I am not trying to run the guy out of town at all. But oh, no. but he needs to be better. And it, we might look back and say, man, remember that how Kevin Stefanski missed the playoffs in year two and then they made the playoffs eight straight years? You know, like that's that's possible. <laughs> and, and there we, is a little yeah, curve. I guess. But I just don't. I mean, if there's anybody who thinks like he did a great job last year, it's a straw man argument. I don't know. There's a ton of Browns fans who think that, oh, the tackles were injured. It's not his fault. Man, I, I thought there was stuff he could have done better. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> we don't make excuses for coaches, only players, Doug. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. Right. So uh, so let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about um, the yeah, the first article that, that we wanted to, to bring up um, that you wrote. this. I think this was probably about a week ago. And that's uh, um, where the Browns could match the path of the Bengals and what the Browns need to learn. Um, and this was uh, this was this was very interesting because um, you threw a lot of numbers out in this article and, uh, and you know a lot of research, a lot of comparing the Browns to the Bengals, and you know and what it came down to is the Browns were are this past season were better than the Bengals in in a lot of areas, almost every area other than other than the passing game. Yeah, and and. Uh, you know, it, we bring up the passing game again, and it, and it's funny, Doug, because when I listened to the podcast we did, uh, you know, over a year ago, I, I asked you about um, I asked you about Nick Chubb, and within a few minutes, you were talking about um, about the passing game, <laughs> because yeah. uh, you know you're like, well, Nick Chubb's good, but he's not going to to run us to a Super Bowl. You know, it's about the passing game, and it's a passing league, and we've known it's a passing league for a while. But this past season has really seemed to highlight the fact that that it's more about passing even than we thought it was, is kind of how I see it. And I think it's about that, like, when it matters against good teams. I, I do think the running game and, the, and defense can, like, probably get you to the playoffs and can beat a lot of mediocre teams. And that's because we've seen how good the Browns are when they get a lead. And part of the issue this issue this year was they didn't get as many leads. But if they get ahead right. and they we all know what the formula is: wear them down with Nick Chubb in the fourth quarter. Yeah. But that's harder to do against Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers and and Lamar Jackson and and Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. So, yeah. um, you know, they were efficient throwing the ball in 2020. You can look at a lot of numbers where, you know, their their passing EPA compared to the running EPA, they were really efficient. And then in 2021, they were like a backwards team. They were more explosive running it. They they just they couldn't throw it at all. And we we sort of all know the reasons for that. But the thing that I would love to have a long term conversation with Andrew Barry and Paul DePodesta and Kevin Stefanski about is they are kind of an outlier in what they do. I guess the Titans are kind of like them, but that they are so run heavy. Is it good to be different, or does it reach a point where it's bad to be different? Because a lot of times I think being different is the underdog answer. When you don't have the same talent, you don't want to do it the same way everybody else does. Because it's like, well, man, if we just do what everybody else does, we don't have Tyreek Hill. Well, we don't have Travis Kelsey. We don't have Patrick Mahomes. So we better do something different. So then you do something different. But at some point, when you have Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward and Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa and Jadavion Clowney and Joel Batonio and Nick Chubb and David Njoku and Jack Conklin and John Johnson III, you have enough talent, so maybe don't be different. Maybe do it the way everybody's doing it. So that's what mm-hmm. I'm really curious about what the what those 
front office thinkers would say about that idea, because I am sort of out on different. And I keep saying on our Orange About Talk podcast, I don't want to see any more six yard passes to the tight end. Like, I get it. But I, I, I don't I don't think that's the overall winning, winning formula. So let's get some receivers in here. Let's see what Baker does when he's healthy and be prepared with other options pretty quickly. I'm not saying you bench him in week three of this year, but this guy's not signed. So, you know, you can't they don't have all their eggs in the Baker Mayfield basket. If they did, they would have extended him. So you have to be right. ready with with a wide ranging view of the quarterback situation. You have to get receivers to make any quarterback better. And let's see what happens. Because I just I don't think the other thing is is sustainable the way the way it is right now. And I must feel bad for the Browns because they sort of built it the right way. They built it with the offensive line and the Bengals are like, hey, our line stinks. Let's draft that guy from LSU and see what happens. And yeah. like, oh, the Super Bowl. It's like the Browns did <laughs> yeah. it the right way and it didn't matter. The Bengals are getting Joe Burrow sacked 10 times a game, but they got him his favorite receiver from college and they're good to go. So right. I don't blame the Browns for where they are, but I'm going to blame them if they don't add to the receiver room big time. And if they don't start doing that more, because you can't draft a receiver at 13 and not throw to him. And the, the way that they were not getting the ball to Odell Beckham, yes, Baker's injury was part of it, but it's, it's, and it's it's a malfunction, right? You how do you not get the ball to to a guy like that in a league like this? How do you not get him the ball? It's there's no excuse for it. So they have to fix that. And I just I just can't see them winning a Super Bowl. It's like what's your plan for the Super Bowl? Throw it to Austin Hooper four times in the first quarter and hope that we're up. 19 to 12 in the fourth quarter so we can run sub 12 times it's like that's not the league man you've got to adjust to reality and, and you're how right confident, and, yeah how ahead, confident John. you think kevin stefanski would be knowing that um his job is on the line next year that he's got to figure out a passing offense through the arm of baker mayfield i mean so the, it's i mean it's uh, it is um I, I, I feel bad for all of us to some degree. And by all of us, I mean everybody who talks or thinks and cares about the Browns. Browns yeah. fans, first and foremost, and then guys like us. Because we don't know. Like, it's the only thing that matters in a lot of ways. And we don't know. Because he's been good at times. And you look at some of the stuff. I know, like, there were some numbers on Malik Willis from the Senior Bowl. And, like, his, I think, his miles per hour on something, on how hard he threw it. And, like, a list of recent quarterbacks and like Baker's like right there so it's like mm -hmm. oh, arm strength and he and it's like his that guy can zip it in perfect sure. scenarios right mm -hmm. but off platform and it's just the decision making this year man I'm sure the injury affected the decision making but there are a number of times that he did not throw to guys that were open and he did throw to guys that were covered and got picked that is worrisome to me injury or not and so and, and when he's been good he really hasn't been like he hasn't had a whole entire very good year. He's had very good spurts in different years. So, you know, but the proof's in the pudding. They haven't signed him. And that was the whole Mayfield Matrix series we did. They just teams to, with the fifth with the quarterback fifth year option, like they, this doesn't work. This is not this has not ever happened. Where you do not extend him before year five and then he winds up being your long term quarterback. It's never happened with a first round quarterback.
So yeah. maybe they will plow new ground here. But if they really believed in him, he'd be signed and none of us would be having this conversation. So for the people who, who get mad about oh, hating on Baker, it's like, listen, man, it's not my fault the team didn't sign him. I understand why they didn't, but this is not normal. If you know the Bills signed Josh Allen, they're not having this conversation in Buffalo. So mm-hmm. um, that uncertainty permeates everything they do. And it's going to make for an interesting season, but I think it's going to make for a frustrating you know, next seven months and trying to analyze this because we're not going to know until he gets on the field. Yeah, it kind of yeah, feels least, feels like a shotgun marriage to me. Between Stefanski oh. and Mayfield. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard because we've been, you know, because of all the coaches and OCs Baker's been through and and, and then the injury, it's, it's hard to tell what else you can put blame on and how much is is just inconsistency and and the thing that i said is like no offense but like i don't really care about baker mayfield i care about the quarterback of the browns because i don't Mm -hmm. cover baker mayfield i cover the browns and i don't write and talk for baker mayfield fans i write and talk for browns fans so my concern is the quarterback of the browns and can he be good enough for the Browns to win a Super Bowl? He doesn't have to carry in there by himself, but can he be good enough? Can Baker Mayfield be that guy? I don't know, but it's not about whether it's fair to Baker Mayfield. Yes, he's had a bunch of coaches and OCs. Yes, he was injured. The reality is he's not signed in year five, and he was bad last year. We know why part of the reason he was bad. It wasn't the entire reason, though, but yes, we get it. But it's not, no offense to the millionaires. It's not about what's fair to them. It's about what's best for the franchise. And if we don't think the franchise is incompetent, and I don't, and I don't think most Browns fans do anymore. I don't think they look at Andrew Barry and Paul DePodesta and Kevin Stefanski and the Haslams now. I think the Haslams have really redeemed themselves the last year or so, basically by hiring good people and getting out of the way. But I don't yeah. think people look mm-hmm. at that and think, well, they're going to screw it up. And if you do think that, I don't think that's fair. So I think you believe they're going to make the right decision, but they can't make a decision on what's best for Baker Mayfield. They have to make it on what's best for the Browns. So I, I, I do get frustrated. I, I don't I don't get frustrated. I, I am curious sometimes about fans who seem to be more of a fan of Baker Mayfield than they are of the Browns, but I think that is rooted in a mistrust of the organization that has been justifiably built up by incompetence and mismanagement over an extended period of time that if you doubt the Browns, if that's bred into you, I get it. And you like what this guy brought to the city, but I don't think they're incompetent and I'm not sure how good the quarterback is. I think there's so many things because I think, you know, and I think I'm in the same spot, you know, I, uh, to me, it's best if Baker succeeds and we have an answer at QB. Okay. I think that's the best path, even though there's going to be, a, you know, a major expense in extending him, you know, if he has a, if he has a great season this coming season. But I think you got people on the one end that are like, well, we finally got a guy who's better than all these other guys, you know, and they're they're thinking of the jersey, you know, the quarterback jersey. Right. And and then, you know, and the other the other argument is just as well, because they're like, well, you know, look at the other quarterbacks who are out there. And how good they are compared to what ba- you know compared to what we have in Baker right now, as far as what we know about him. So it, there, there really is no right answer to this right now. 
No, I mean, and, and, the, and the issue is everybody thinks they're right, me included. I mean, what the heck? I'm a columnist. I always think I'm right. So that's okay. You know, <laughs> we all, we're all, sometimes we can be a little, all of us, a little certain in our opinions when the whole point of this situation is uncertainty. But I yeah. do think one of the issues is I certainly, and I believed in Baker. I thought he was the right picket number one. I was scared of Josh Allen. Josh Allen has become more accurate than I ever would have expected. I thought yeah. he was the right pick. I thought he was the right guy going into last year. So, I, you know, I'm not anti-Baker at all, but I'm looking, I'm going by how he played last year. And again, not just the injury, um, but his upside, I don't think, I think at his best, he's borderline top 10. Because we, every year, we just did a ranking on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We drafted the best quarterbacks in the league. And it, it's, not an, it's not an affront to him, but he's never going to be Patrick Mahomes, right? And he's, he's never going to huh. be, um, Justin Herbert, probably. And he's never going to be, you know, Aaron Rodgers. And that's okay. But I think his upside is like the 10th best quarterback in the league. And then there's the, un the uncertainty that if he's missing reads and he's not seeing open guys. So I do think, do I think, for instance, Kirk Cousins is better than Baker? I don't know if I think he's better. I think he's more certain. So if the yeah. upside of Baker is 10th, the upside of Baker is the 10th best quarterback in the league or ninth. But the downside that we saw this year was like the 25th best quarterback in the league. Yeah. If you get Kirk Cousins and you're like, you know what? I'm pretty sure he's the 17th best quarterback in the league or the 14th best. And if we have for sure the 14th best quarterback in the league in 2022, we're making the playoffs. That's where I think the issue is. Is Kirk Cousins yeah. going to get you to a Super Bowl? I don't know. But he, he's more certain than Baker. And if you're questioning Baker's upside, then what are you hanging on for? Which is then why I'm interested in what's next. Maybe. I'm not trying to push Baker out of town. But if he's not signed, you have to have another possible idea in your head for 2023 right now. Because they don't have a quarterback on the roster signed for 2023 as it stands. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that. So you also uh, put out your first mock draft. Um, was it uh, yesterday? I believe, right? Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. yeah so um, and uh, you had you had a trade in in the uh, mock draft. Um, first first round, you had the Browns taking uh, Garrett Wilson at thirteen, and um, you kind of said you would, you know, you you're going to take your. Uh, Favorite receiver there, I guess, depending on who's there. You would take London or, or Burks, you know, depending on who's available, more than likely, right? So, right. Um, and then you had uh, you had the Browns trading back into the first round and and picking 29th, um, giving up pick number 44 and their second rounder in 2023, and taking Desmond Ritter. Out out of uh, Cincinnati, quarterback. Right. So um, you you won't get an argument here from from Jeff or I because um, I I have my third kid at UC right now, so I watched every UC game this season. So nice. Um, you know, <laughs> I I know he's not a finished product, but you know, I think I'm um, looking at this class. I think he's, uh, you know, I think he's a pretty pretty good guy that uh, could come in you know and be developed i know he's got some i know he's got a few issues but he's got good size and you know and he can run and he, he can do a lot of things so i think uh you know for me that's a that's a pretty nice pick 
And then um, with the two third rounders, you had uh, uh, Boye Mafe, um, edge out of Minnesota, and uh, Charlie Kohler, the tight end out of Iowa State. Um, so I, I think you're hitting, you know, pretty much the, the main spots that uh, that most everybody who's doing mocks is is thinking about. Other than, you know, not everybody's going to take a quarterback in, yeah. in those first four picks. But um, but yeah, so uh, so um, so Jeff, why, why don't you jump in here, Jeff, with some of your thoughts on uh, on the uh, on the mock? Jeff's been studying the draft a lot. I'm, I'm getting I'm trying to get up to speed on this stuff, Doug, but I'm I'm kind of behind some of you guys on yeah. this. So <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm working know, hard, there's... but I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> there's still a lot of time. Um, for individual players in the draft. Um, I think it's just, it's really early to, to be hanging your hat on somebody right now. So I'm not going to go into, you know, why I think a guy's a good pick or a bad pick at this point in the process, but um, just in terms of the the thinking about, you know, who you draft where, okay. um, And why Um, one of my concerns is, you know, the Browns historically have drafted for need you know, they've, they've tried to solve their problems by finding guys in the draft. And I, I just wonder how successful you can be doing that. You know, when um, you might pass over better players to take a guy who addresses a problem uh, with your roster. So let me frame the question this way, okay? I mean, if, if let's just say, I mean, for, for argument's sake, we didn't take a wide receiver with our first pick in the draft, okay? And I know everybody's saying we need to. Um, but what players or what type of player, not a, maybe even a specific player, but what type of player would make you not take a wide receiver with the 13th pick in the first round? Nobody. I have no answer to that question. let let me let me go a little bit further and maybe maybe it'll spark a spark a thought in your mind okay um let's just say that uh the browns took uh uh garrett wilson as as you suggested okay and i think garrett wilson has a, a lot of that boom or bust in you know in his makeup as well depending on the team he ends up with um I think that's part of the problem with this draft in general is that there are very few players in this draft who strike me as the kind of guy who is going to step in and be outstanding in his first season. I think this draft has a lot of, um, you know, Batman or Robin to Batman. Okay. In, in the makeup of a lot of the players. Um, so I look at it like um, as an example, um, Tyler Linderbaum, and, I, and I've talked a lot about Tyler Linderbaum on this podcast. People are probably sick of hearing me <laughs> throw his name out there. Um, but if if he was anything but a center, any if he played any other position on the football field, I think he would be the number one pick in this draft. If you look at his resume, um, and you know you can agree or disagree on that, but. Um, if I'm sitting there and I, my choice is between a player who may or may not be good enough to be my number one receiver, might be my number two receiver when I really need a number one receiver, or 
a guy who I think could potentially be a Hall of Fame player. Is it the best use of my draft capital to take a guy just because I need that guy at that position? Or should I be taking the best possible player with that draft pick? Yeah, it, it's the name of the game is not draft the best players. It's build the best team. And positional value is, I think, really important in this kind of thing. And I mean, this is a bad example because left tackle is super important. But the Browns had a Hall of Fame left tackle for a decade and sucked. And <laughs> it's because well, they didn't for, have enough other good players at other right. positions that matter. Unfortunately, that was the one they hit on, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, if they take Tyler Linderbaum at 13, I'm going to, like, set the draft room on fire. No offense. <laughs> because how does that make them a better team? They've already invested more money in their guards than any team in the NFL. They already have huge capital spent on both tackles. And they have a veteran at center and a guy in Nick Harris that they drafted behind him who should be ready to step in at some point, which is a really good use of a fifth-round pick. I, they could that would right. be to me that would make them overly strong at offensive line like you're adding right. to a strength for for what and then who are you going to throw to so like if you t- like if you do that like i just don't see how any position would help them as much as taking a receiver and i just i, I think garrett wilson is number one and actually i think garrett wilson is super smart i think he is actually has not shown how good he can be at ohio state because he wasn't an offense with three really good receivers where they spread the ball around. I think he's a good route runner. He's 6'1". He has a big catch radius. He wins balls in the air. You can get him involved in the run game. He can play in the slot. He can play outside. I think he's a true number one, and I think he helps you from day one. And you don't draft him because of this, but he went to the same high school as Baker Mayfield. So if you're trying (laughs) to make Baker Mayfield feel better, you're giving Baker Mayfield a little friend who's a great player but they're also going to have an immediate connection. And I'm on, I, like you said, I'm great with Drake London, 6'5". I'm great with Traylon Burks, physical guy, 6'3". Uh, but I don't want a speed guy. I don't want a deep threat. I want a number one receiver that they can throw the ball to all over the field and the guy can get 10 targets a game and catch seven of them. Because if you look through the NFL, and I haven't done this project yet, but just anecdotally, almost every number one receiver you think of was drafted to that team. Now, Stephon Diggs in Buffalo is an exception, but Devontae Adams, yeah. throw with the Packers. DK Metcalf, Seattle. Um, um, you know, with Julio Jones, I'm, now I'm, not, I'm running out of but like. Tyreek Hill, guys like that. Yeah, Tyreek Hill and you know, Chase. Like and... The, the, Jamar Chase. Like, there's just, you do, Tyreek Hill, you do that. You draft a guy and you grew him in your system. And I do think with Stefanski's system, to bring in a receiver from somewhere else, and I also do think they should sign a receiver. You mm-hmm. can't bring in an Odell who was used to being a number one guy in a passing offense and then bring him here and say, hey, we throw the tight end all the time. You have to bring in a guy who doesn't know any better and you groom him in your system. And they're overdue to draft a receiver. They haven't drafted one since Corey Coleman. Since then, they've drafted an edge rusher. They've drafted a tackle. They've drafted a cornerback. They've drafted a quarterback. They've drafted every positional, the most important positions they've addressed in the first round since Corey Coleman. They haven't gone to receiver. It's time for receiver. and. I think, thankfully, I think the the strength of the that position group matches their need. So I get yeah. you don't want to overextend on need, but I think Wilson, Burks, and London, none of them are going in the top five. 
I think they're all going to go between 10 and 20. And I think two of those three will be available at 13. And so I do think, just like with Greg Newsom, just like with Jedrick Wills, I think that the guys available at the position, good for the Browns, matches their need. But I just don't – what else would make them what, – what else would help them more? What position could help them more? They draft David Ojabo and have – pair a guy at edge rusher with Miles Garrett. Okay, I get it. That's great, but that's going to make them a better football team in 22 than getting a number one receiver? A starting receiver for a team that has no receivers? That's why I just, I, I, I'd love to hear the argument because I understand what you're saying, but what makes them a better team than drafting a potential number one receiver at 13? I just can't think of any other guy. No, I I, I... I'm not disagreeing. I think um, from a, as you mentioned earlier, uh, positional value perspective, um, you know, a, a 13th pick in the draft, which is someplace you hope to not be again anytime soon. Yeah. Um, needs to be a, a, a diamond type player on your team. Um, and you need to be sure that that, that player is, is going to have a huge impact on your team for the long term. You know, you're you're getting uh, a five year contract at a very good price. Yeah. Um, where you know, yes, to to go out and you can go out and pick up a Jadavian Clowney to play opposite Miles. Okay, but that comes with a huge cost and that limits what you can do in other places. Um, you know, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago about um, you know, yes, we we took a cornerback last year. Okay. But, but this draft also has some really, really good cornerbacks up high. And we were, we're looking at extending, uh, Denzel Ward Denzel, at, at yeah. huge, huge money. Okay. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I follow the idea that, you know, they're due to take a wide receiver. I, I also think that, you know, the way this draft sets up with so much depth, um, I mean, there are, I, I'm, I'm in favor of taking two wide receivers, honestly. I mean, it would, I would say two of the first four picks ought to be wide receivers. And if they decide to, to take, you know, other positions in the first and second round, I want those two picks in the third round to be wide receivers who are probably going to be, um, better than anything we have on our roster now. But they so, just took a receiver in the third round last year who doesn't know how to play receiver. Yeah, he sucks. <laughs> like, I don't know I, I was a fan of that. his. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he doesn't I mean, know how to play receiver. Like he he doesn't no, know. What you have to, do. you have to actually finish a route. <laughs> so, so so that's what makes that's what you know. Listen, I'm on. Uh, what's the guy's name? I'm on Ray St. Brown. When yeah, yeah. And picks after Anthony Schwartz and had a thousand receiving yards in Detroit or whatever. Detroit right. stinks and didn't have anybody else to throw it to, but. It's, it's one of those things. Everybody can. Everybody has examples of. Oh, don't take this position high because you can find a guy later. You know, right. it's true everywhere. But I do think Wilson and London, in particular, to me, profile as there's no such thing as a sure thing, but right. pretty legit candidates to be number one receivers. And again. I th I think especially in Cleveland, you're not gonna get. How else are they gonna get a number one receiver in this offense with this quarterback situation? The guys aren't uh, gonna want to come to town, they're not right? They don't want to come here. Yeah. yeah. So you have to. I like, think you have to draft one. And and like you said, they shouldn't be picking this high. Uh, they hope for a while. And right. 
if Wilson or London are sitting there, I, I just think it matches up in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I, I'm with you, Di. I don't see how, you know, at least one of those guys isn't there, you know, if not two. Yeah, they're not. I mean, there's not, they're not going to have three receivers picked in the first 12. No. You know, no. you know a couple quarterbacks are going to jump up like always. You know, there there is certainly a, a crop of edge rushers uh, that people are going to want to take. There's a couple corners that are going to go, as as always, like you guys said. So I, I just really think I think there's about a 50 50 chance that Wilson gets to them. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I feel like maybe. I feel like maybe one receiver goes before them and it might be Wilson or London. I think it would be great if it's like Jamison Williams or like a speed guy, because I just don't think that's the yeah. right fit for them. So yeah. let the Jets or the Giants take Jamison Williams and give the Browns a choice of Wilson or London. But I also would be happy for the Browns if, you know, one of Wilson is London or Wilson or London is gone and they take whoever's left. That would work. I'd yeah. be okay with that. Yeah. I'd also be okay with them trading down and taking somebody you know, at the wide receiver spot if they could pick up another second round pick somewhere. So, um, real quick, if, if you know, let's let's take another position. And I know Rod wanted to ask about some of the other Ohio State players. Um, yeah. Tight end is also a problem, I think, with the Browns organization. Um, so you've got um, Charlie Kolar out of Ohio or out of Iowa State. Um, I'm just curious how you see him um matching up against jeremy ruckert yeah listen ruckert is i you know have written and, and talked a ton about ruckert since he got to ohio state he was a top 100 national recruit played receiver in high school knew he was coming here to be a tight end they acted like they were going to throw him the ball and like every other tight end in ohio state history they didn't throw him the ball so they had <laughs> three such good receivers you know they use their slot receiver to work the middle of the field. And if your choice is Jackson Smith and Jigba or anybody else, you're going to pick Jackson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who played in the slot this year. So mm-hmm. I, I thought it was nuts how little they threw the ball to Rucker, especially down the stretch. I think it was almost an insult to him because he could have come out last year. It might have been a little bit of a stretch. But, you know, he stayed for a senior year and, and got ignored down the stretch. He's turned into a really good blocker. He's a really good athlete. You can see his highlight plays, the one-handed catches in some big games. Um, I think he's that kind of guy. He had a good senior bowl. But now I also think it's possible he's so underrated he might get overrated. And I don't want to hold against him the fact that he had whatever it was, 26 catches this year. And Charlie Kolar had 62, I think it was, for Iowa State. But I, I, you know, Ruckert in the third round. And I know Dan Lobby for us did his mock draft that came out Wednesday, and he had him picking Rucker in the third round. Okay. That I, I don't think that's wrong. Jeff Hireman and Nick Vanette, two you know Ohio State tight ends from seven eight years ago, both went in the third round, and I think Rucker's a better receiver than both of them. So I could see the third round, but um, there are just some guys I like better. So I'm not against Rucker by any means, and he really is a good blocker. He wasn't when he got to Ohio State, but he became one. Uh, and he does have good hands. Um, I just think there might be a couple tight ends I like more. But I've, you got to give Kev a tight end, right, man? I mean, come on. He'll storm oh, out yeah. of the uh, yeah. draft. Yeah. Tight end. And again, I, I think this is a, a great draft to, to be looking for a, a tight end with some upside. Yeah. Especially in the mid-rounds. Yeah. So I yeah. sure hope they come yeah. away with one. Yeah. And that's interesting. I mean, it's like. Or Hooper is such a big dead cap hit if they get off him this year, right? So I, it's like it's hard to yes. imagine the scenario where he's not on the team this year. And I, and I hope mm-hmm. 
you know, the Hooper contract situation wouldn't keep them from signing Njoku if they want to sign Njoku. But I think Harrison Bryant is fine. He's okay. But I, I think a world where in 2023, your two best tight ends are David Njoku and maybe the guy you take in the third round this year, that might be a better place for the Browns than where they are with tight ends right now. Um, so I do think that is an interesting position to keep in mind in the third round. You know, I think that's an interesting statement, um, Doug, about David and Joku. I mean, um, to your point earlier about Baker um, not being extended, David and Joku, we've mentioned several times, it wasn't extended either. So right. why are we assuming that the Browns want to resign him? Uh I don't think we're assuming it. I think a lot of this, you know, we all end up having conversations about, should they sign him? Will they sign him? And it's like, well, what's the number? You know, like all of right. it is like, will they resign? Yeah. Like, well, what's the number? Is Clowney two for 28 or is Clowney one for 11? You know, like that's not the same discussion. So right. I, I do think it's possible. I mean, if, if, you know, the little hiccup there with Njoku in 2020, I think maybe contributed um, to the fact that they didn't lock him up previously, but he was their best tight end this year. And he certainly has come a long way as a blocker and he remains the most tantalizing upside guy. I mean, it's a little bit crazy to be thinking about a guy who's, you know, been in the league now as long as he has. And you still like the number one thing with him is potential, but he's still so young. <laughs> yeah. And at some point you have to become more than potential, but what he's 25 and a five-year veteran. So if you're mm -hmm. trying yeah. to find your George Kittle or your Mark Andrews, you know, I don't think it's That's a no-brainer. I don't, you know, of the guys on the roster, Njoku by far is the best chance to to develop toward a type of top tight end, top end tight end. And that might be the thing. It's like Kevin Stefanski likes tight ends, but man, what would Kevin Stefanski do with a top five tight end? You know, what if he had Travis Kelsey? Well, right. what if you have somebody who can approach the fringe of that production? on your roster and you're going to let them walk because you overpaid Austin Hooper a couple of years ago. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, you might end up spending an awful lot on tight end for one year, but you sign in Joku. Now you suck it up. You get off Hooper after this year. I, I think it might be worthwhile. And I don't know. A lot of times guys think they're going to go find a huge market, but is somebody out there really dying to give David and Joku huge numbers? Nobody knows them better. I don't than the think Browns. so. Yeah, probably yeah. not. I don't think he so. He might want to test the waters, and then he'll get a little bit of a dose of reality, and then sign a contract with the Browns that that is good for him, but also good for the for the team. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. Doug, I want to ask about Chris Olave because I don't know if it's just me. It feels like he's been on the uh, Buckeyes for like six or seven years. Um, yeah, he's been playing <laughs> for a long time. Um, he also seems to be a guy who is uh, people are. Um, you know, either either really high on or or not very high on at all in this draft. So, what do you what are your thoughts on on Chris Olave? I think he's smooth. I think he's a good route runner. I think he's a great guy. I think he works hard. Um, I think he's a really good deep threat. I think he plays the ball in the air. He's a little bit like Devin Smith. I think he was a second round pick for Ohio State in 2015. He's a better overall receiver than him because he's not only a deep threat. And Devin Smith is really kind of only a deep threat. Um, he's not, I don't think, as as dynamic as Wilson. And 
whenever we talked about Wilson and Olave the past two years, we always kind of thought, well, you know, you maybe could make an argument that Olave is, quote, better, maybe, but we just think Wilson's the better draft prospect. And I think that's going to play out and has been playing out, you know, with what draft analysts are saying so far. I think for sure he should be a first rounder. He's a little bit of a smaller frame. Um, but, I, I, you know, I could see him being the kind of guy, if he goes to a team that has a good quarterback and a good number one receiver, and you drop him in as the number two, I think he could light it up for you right away. I think that, you know, for the Browns to draft him and say, you're our guy, I just think that might be a bit of a heavy lift for him. So mm, um, I'd yeah. like to, I would love to see him paired with Justin Fields because Justin Fields is like a throws a pretty good deep ball. And he and Olave had a nice connection. And people have noted, you know, J- Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith and Jalen Hurts and Tua Tonga-Bailoa and Jalen Waddell. It's like pair up your receiver and your quarterback from college. But the Bears don't have a first round pick because they traded up for Fields. I actually saw a mock the other day that had Field or had Olave falling to the bears at 39. And that seems like a stretch to me. That seems yeah. a little far, you know, like if Jahan Dotson goes ahead of him and it is a good receiver class, but I still think he's a first rounder, but I think he might slightly be more of a number two receiver in the NFL, where I do think my, the top three guys to me are, are more clear number one receivers, but I, I like Chris Olave a lot. Um, let's combine a few guys here, so I'm not going one one at a time here. Just some guys on the defensive line. It's, um, Haskell Garrett and uh, Jackson are the DTs, and then uh, Tyreek Smith, defensive end. Um, how high are you on on each of those guys? Yeah, I mean, you know, Antoine Jackson, I think is is kind of a guy. I think he, I can see him being a late round pick. Haskell Garrett was a big time recruit, a little bit of a slow developer, then turned into an All American. Um, I think he is a good football player. Sometimes you see these super athletic, gigantic guys at defensive tackle, like the Georgia guys. Um, Mm -hmm. He's not that. So I, I wouldn't go too high on him. I just think he's more to me. He's more of a day three guy. You know, if I know the Browns do have a defensive tackle need, like Haskell Garrett in third round seems a little high to me. Uh, Tyreek Smith is interesting. Cleveland Heights kid, big time recruit. Injury issues, kind of his whole career at Ohio State. But there were times this year when he was healthy, when he was the best player on the defense. And I do think he had a good senior bowl, which was not a surprise. And I'll be curious to see what he does at the combine, because I do think he's a guy who, were he healthier more consistently, would have put up better numbers and might be projected higher I mentioned him briefly when I had Boy Mafe in the in the third round of the Browns. I could see Tyreek Smith getting getting into day two because I yeah. do think he's athletic. He has good size. I think he's, I think he's a really good football player. He's got fresh legs a little bit because he was there for four years, but you know he he did have the injuries that he battled. Um, you know, and you don't just want to draft Ohio State guys and Cleveland guys, but I, I think he's a really good player, and I think it's possible. You know, Draymond Jones, you know, another Cleveland guy, was drafted as a third rounder. He's a tackle, but drafted by the Broncos as a third rounder a couple of years ago. Like, it's like, I think, a really good player, a pretty darn good player for the Broncos. Um, Jonathan Cooper was a seventh round pick last year, played a lot, decent amount for the Broncos as a rookie this year. You know, I, I think Tyreek is is a guy who who could play good football for you. And if the Browns, for instance, drafted him, I think he could be their third defensive end maybe pretty quickly. 
I don't think you'd say, oh, Clowney's gone. We're going to start Tyreek Smith. But I think he could mm-hmm. fill that Tack McKinley role if Tack's coming back from his injury. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I think he's I, I like him. He's a good player and he might be underrated. So about the tackles, uh, Thayer Mumford and uh, uh, Nicholas Petit Ferrer. Yeah, I know. So uh, I know uh, Nicholas is getting uh, probably a lot more uh, press right now. Yeah, uh, Munford probably is more of a guard. Four-year starter, great story, great dude. Uh, I was just trying to think. He reminds me a little bit of Jamarco Jones, who was a two-year starter at tackle for Ohio State, a fifth-round pick a couple years ago mm-hmm. by Seattle, has started some games. You know, Munford's a little bit of uh, – I mean, they moved him inside this year, they said, to help give him versatility and stuff. But I do think legitimately he might be – he's probably a guard in the NFL. Jack Muhort was a guy who was a tackle at Ohio State. I think it was a second round pick by Indy and went to guard right away. So I think he's like, I think he projects as like a, a good guard, but you know, I think fourth, fifth round, but I think he could, I think he could play for a while. Petit Frere is, I mean, that guy's a five-star recruit, top 10 national player, good feet, was really slight when he got to Ohio state. Every story about him at Ohio state when he got here was how they're making him eat and put on pounds because he was so skinny <laughs> So that's one of those things, you know, he's got the frame, but he had to grow into his body a little bit. But that means he's a good athlete. And he had a really good year. They didn't have a great game against the Michigan edge rushers when in losing to Michigan. But a lot of people didn't have great games against Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo this year. So that's right. no great slight. Um, you know, there was a time with the way the way Petit Frere was playing halfway through the year. I thought this guy could be a first round pick. It feels like that's not where he's going now. But I think I think he is a NFL starter, and I would guess he's probably a second-round guy, maybe could slide into the third. But I, I think we from the moment he got to Ohio State, we thought he was an NFL tackle, and I think the way he's played right. the last two years, he's certainly shown that. Nice. And then the defensive backs, Demario McCall, the corner, and Marcus Williamson, the safety. Yeah, not players. Not They won't be drafted. They will not be drafted. No. Is Master T going to be drafted? No. I didn't think so. Yeah. Be a I mean, yeah. So, excellent. Um, Jeff, do you have anything else you want to add about the draft real quick before we kind of head on out of here? No, I think we covered it all really well. I appreciate okay. this time. All right. Yeah, really appreciate your time, Doug. Um, anything you'd like to leave uh, the listeners with tonight? Uh Wide receiver or bust, baby. Get, get ready. <laughs> if, you hear, if you hear an explosion in Berea on draft night, uh, it's because the Browns have not taken a receiver at 13. So it's going to be from you. You know, I, 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 I can be persuaded off that point, you know, if Devontae Adams shows up uh, in, in a Browns uniform and free agency. But yeah. that, if, yeah. they cannot get to september without a number one receiver and i it's it just reminds me you know when they were building up this team in free agency two years ago and it was like hey they have everything they need except a left tackle it's like i wonder what they'll do and it's like well they're gonna draft a left tackle so uh, you know andrew barry knows the roster better than any of us obviously he knows they don't have those guys and i do think we we've been talking about this do you guys both think jarvis landry will not be a brown next year I think yeah, we'll I'll, I'll be that surprised. conclusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. He will it, not be. Emotionally, it's 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 you know I get it, but nobody thinks yep. he'll be back 
16 million. And if you restructure, I have a hard time finding the number that would make both sides happy to make it happen. And then I also yeah. would imagine a reduced role. So I think the Browns number one and number two receivers for the 2022 season are not on the roster right now. So right. I agree. Makes free agency and the draft very, very interesting. Yep. Totally agree. Okay, that is uh, Doug Maurice. Follow him at Doug Less Me Rises. Uh, check him out at all of his uh, stuff at cleveland.com. And also um, check out the link to his book and his podcasts, as we talked about earlier, uh, Buckeye Talk Pod and CFB Survivor Show. Jeff, any closing words tonight? <laughs> Not tonight, Rod. I'm tired. <laughs> Doug wore me out. <laughs> okay. That's my podcasting strategy is wear down the other people. Wear them down. Wear down the others. <laughs> uh, Doug wins this bout. So. <laughs> this has been the Browns Blitz. We will catch you next time.